everyone, and welcome back to the Reclaimed Podcast. My name is Ellie Herringa, and I'm so happy that you're here to listen to this episode. I am thrilled because one of my best friends of all time is with me, Dr. Kristen Davis Eliason. Kristen and I grew up together, like down the street from each other, um, and we just celebrated our 20 year, the big 2 our 20 year anniversary of being friends by backpacking. Um, on the Spirit Hiking Trail, which was so fun. Mm-hmm. Sure sure was. And Kristen is here to talk about reclaiming. Yay. Yay. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. So um, s- tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do. Yes. Um, so as Ellie mentioned, I was born and raised in the Twin Cities, um, and then I left because I needed some warmer areas. <laughs> so I did my undergrad as well as my graduate degree in Southern, Calif- in Southern California. So I attended Biola University um, and I got my PhD there in clinical psychology. So currently I'm actually living in Honolulu, Hawaii, where I work at the VA hospital there. So I just ended my postdoc, meaning I'm done with my PhD, I'm done with my clinical hours, um, and I'm going to be starting my full-time job there in a, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But practically what that means is that I am actually not yet a licensed clinical psychologist. I probably will be in about a month. That's so um, exciting. I know, finally. <laughs> You've been working at this for years and years forever. and years. Forever. It feels and, like forever. And now it's like, it's right there. Yes. That's so exciting. Ugh, yes, finally. And so my specialty there is um, trauma. So I specialize in sexual Mm -hmm. trauma treatment specifically. So I I work with many survivors um, who have experienced a variety of different traumas. For most folks, it's more than just sexual trauma, but the sexual trauma is kind of what they're focusing on. Right, right. And and these are are people that have been in active service Mm -hmm. in the military? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, of course, I mean, before I came to the VA, I treated all sorts of folks, both veteran as well, mm-hmm. as, as, well as civilian. But now my specialty is a veteran population. Cool. So, cool. That's yeah. awesome. And, of course, living in Honolulu, which is like, you know. I mean, it's Hawaii. It's paradise. <laughs> we surf a lot. We hike a and lot. And you live there with your, with your husband. I live there with my husband, Evan. Um, we've and been Evan's together amazing. forever. Yes, Evan's great. Yeah. And they've they've... They were, you guys are high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. Basically, you grew up together. Basically. And I was sort of like, I mean, I was always hearing about Evan growing yes. up. And well, and you knew Evan before I knew Evan. I did. Yes. That's crazy. So like our families were friends and um, and there was like this funny little Bible study at my house one time and um, and you guys were both a part of it. And that's how you actually met. So we actually met our first meeting. I was not <laughs> impressed the first time. <laughs> Luckily, but also you you both were like thirteen at the time, so it got better a couple years later. Yeah, there is hope (laughs) in high school. I just love that so much. And so, and it's so cool because like we're we're still like connected as friends, and and you've been you've been such an important resource in my healing from my divorce, and um, you know, like you were you were a bridesmaid in my wedding. I was a bridesmaid in your wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been with each other through thick and thin. And here we are. And here we are now. I know. I know. So old and I don't know. I'm I'm just happy you're here. I'm happy that you want to talk about it too. So basically, um, I mean I've been so I've I've been, you know, immersed in um 
in reclaiming. Reclaiming is identifying a painful and internal reaction to a place or thing um, and choosing to face that thing head on to create a new and positive association. That's sort of the definition that I've given it. Basically, I found places and things that I felt were untouchable because of the pain of my divorce. And, um, And by avoiding those places, I really soon discovered that I was living in fear that I was um, allowing those things to have a greater, um, just a just more power in my life by avoiding them. So I decided to make a spreadsheet of all those places and things, and I went back to those places and um, and took them back. So I would um, bring friends and family with me, and um, and really just go back to that place, face the pain, face the fear, and um, and try to create a new memory with that thing or with that place. So often that looked that looked like um, going back to a restaurant that I have a memory with my ex-husband at. And, um, and when I did this, I didn't really know what I was doing. I like, I kind of just, um, I just felt sort of like this impulse to go back and, um, I just knew that, okay, so this restaurant like Perkins, this, this restaurant, I don't want to go back to it. And, um, and by, and when I did go back to it, I felt better. I felt empowered. I felt um, it was really, really scary and I didn't really want to go back, but it was sort of this weird, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I didn't quite have like the words to, to put around it. Which that alone is actually really surprising to me because the act of reclaiming and kind of the psychology behind it is typically something that is the last thing that people want to do. Yeah, um, it's simply some. It's something that you know your therapist or whoever else kind of has to drag you towards, hmm. versus the fact that you both felt that urge and then actually got yourself out to do those things, even though it was hard. Like that, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I yeah. don't hear of many folks who are like, "Oh, I've been avoiding this thing. Let's go and just approach it head on." Right, and I'm I'm really thankful that that was my that that was my reaction. But it's not like I really wanted to go back there. Mm-hmm. It was that I identified that there was a that there was pain and that there was fear around it. And so then, um, yeah, my, my, my dad has said a couple times in the podcast, um, there's like a fight or flight. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but, but this is like, this is like a forward. Um, mm-hmm. it's like a third F he said, um, where you're, you're, you're choosing not even to fight it, but necessarily, but, um, but actually like actively step into it. Mm-hmm. And, um, because of the fear and, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, I'm grateful that that was my that was yeah. my response. And I think that a, a surprising bit of it is that the other F, which a lot of people don't talk about, is the freeze. Totally, yeah. And that's where I think a lot of people in, initially get stuck is that whether it be in the actual trauma mm. it, itself or in the response to it, it's like, I'm just going to freeze and do nothing, hmm. um, which is actually a really normal response to traumatic things. Right. Um, well, and, I would say that that was my, that that was my first response. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was yeah. just like, I'm like everything is so overwhelming and everything is so scary that all I want to do is just sit and not, not act at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you face and you, you kind of go through this exposure therapy mm-hmm. with, um, with your patients. Definitely. 
Yeah. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So just a little bit of background kind of before I jump in more. One is that while I am a psychologist, I do want to give the disclaimer that I am not your psychologist. So I am not Ellie's psychologist. Yeah. I am not the psychologist for anyone listening. So know that by if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not giving you therapy in any way. So um, go and get your own. So go and get your <laughs> own. Um, and I say that as a person who's had years of my own therapy and I'm a totally different person as, mm-hmm. a, as a result. Also, I say that as, as a person who didn't really think that she needed therapy. Um, and frankly, I, I probably could have gotten by without it, but I would not be the same health of person I am mm-hmm. right now if I had not done that. So that's my kind of like caveat and my yes, go and get therapy. <laughs> they, thank you for giving that. Yes. Well, and <laughs> I was telling you before before we started recording, I feel like I am constantly telling people on the podcast to go get therapy. And even just in daily life, I'm like, hey, have you thought about like getting a psychologist or going to counseling? And um, and it, some people are like offended by that. But mm-hmm. I mean that in the best way because it has been so incredibly helpful for me. I still... I still see my therapist regularly. I see her every other week right now. And that's, it is so incredibly important. And, um, and it's just been very, very empowering to continue to move forward in, in my own healing. But there's like so much, I'm not talking about my divorce anymore. I'm talking about mm-hmm. so much more past yeah. the divorce, which is just awesome. And it's like, yeah, like when I do preventative care. Like, even if you're fine and dandy, why wait until your life is on fire or exactly. your marriage is in shambles oh, or whatever else? Oh, like my just gosh. Just go in beforehand. Anyways, Bling is, Bling is saying track. hi. Also. <laughs> hey, Bling. <laughs> okay. So um, the other thing, going back to reclaiming, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that is – so reclaiming kind of comes from exposure therapy. And the interesting thing for me specifically is that I do exposure therapy – um, at the VA and what that is typically called in my trauma clinic is prolonged exposure. And that's typically focused around PTSD treatment. Um, however, the way that I was trained is not as a behaviorist, but is really as a more relationally informed psychologist. And, hmm. so, that, and so the way that I'm going to be talking about behaviorism and about behavior therapy, some really strict, staunch behaviorists might take issue with. So when I am doing exposure therapy, kind of similar to what Ellie has talked about, is that exposure therapy is shown to be really effective for phobias, for anxiety, which are really all common and that it's united around things that people are avoiding. Hmm. Um, and that is really, if we're thinking about, you know, phobias or anxieties and PTSD kind of fits in in this category in that what is actually keeping these things going, keeping things rooted, keeping the symptoms there is that people are avoiding something. Yeah. The something can be memories. It can just be straight up thoughts about oneself or others that come mm. up when they're, you know, in that situation. And frequently, and, and this is the one that's typically overlooked, is the emotions. What emotions are being avoided? Oh yeah, like that that was that was a big a big thing for me in in avoiding a place was mm-hmm. like avoiding the fear, avoiding the sadness that would come yeah. up from that place. So like I was I was afraid to go back to Perkins because sitting over pancakes, I was afraid of just like breaking down and crying. Yeah. So both the physiological reaction to mm-hmm. it, not wanting to have people see that, yeah. as well as the emotional ex- experience of sadness and not wanting to feel that level of pain. Right. And I, I also, I mean, a big part of the fear that I had was actually there's not necessarily a reason that I would be afraid of seeing him there, mm-hmm. but 
I would like I would imagine that maybe like he would walk in or something because we have a memory there so that place is tied with him exactly at that place and so then I'd be afraid of just running into him where I could run into him anywhere Mm -hmm. because he lives here but it felt like a higher likelihood because that memory was attached with that place right so it's just so much fear and so much avoidance yeah yep Exactly. And really, and this is kind of what I tell my patients who have PTSD, is that the only way to really get through this is to approach what you've been avoiding. Hmm. Because the more and more that you avoid, the more and more that you teach yourself, this is something to be feared. If I approach this, this emotion, this experience is going to be exactly how I've been playing it out in my mind for the last week or two weeks or five years or or however long it's been avoided for. So then the longer that you're avoiding it, it's like the greater it is. The, the stronger greater it, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, and of course in therapy, like we use analogies frequently. <laughs> like one of those people. Please use an analogy But here. I mean, really, it's like the root just gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. And that, and that belief just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Hmm. So, so maybe like the quick, so the quicker you kind of face that and and recognize what's happening, the, the, um, the easier it is to face it, the easier it is to... Yes and no. There's some mixed research. So, I mean, if we're thinking about, you know, trauma, and when I say trauma in this way, I'm talking about like DSM-5 trauma. So something that you actually believe is going to be a threat of life What is is DSM-5? So DSM-5 is the manual that psychologists or psychiatrists use to diagnose people. Okay. Um, So it's kind of like our Bible of sorts for what people can have as far as psychological diagnoses go. Hmm. Okay. So the, and so we use that, and by DSM five criteria, um, trauma, and this is kind of again that definition, not like the layman's definition, is something that actually causes, or is a threat of one's life. Okay. So by that definition, it's like there's big T, and that's that, and that's okay. the criteria for PTSD. And then there's little T, and that's all of the crazy, terrible th- things that happen during your life that truly are traumatic, right. but don't technically meet criteria for that. Okay, so, so trauma would be something that's like big T trauma is like if you're if someone's ready to kill you Mm -hmm. okay yeah or you think that okay versus like little t is for example your uh, your divorce Mm -hmm. right and kind of finding out about the affair Mm. definitely traumatic right Right. it's not like to invalidate the trauma of that happening it's just not the same right anyways that's a bit of a tangent yeah um it's good to i mean it's really good to specify those things though it is it is because i think that people can jump in and say oh i definitely just have ptsd because this traumatic thing happened and definitely for me it's wanting to validate yeah the difficulty of that happening Mm -hmm. but it's not going to have the same kind of manifestation in a person's life right right totally makes sense so where were we well, we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is but what this happens is, when you sit with a psychologist is that you get off on lots of tangents. But it also, but also, this is like us hanging out too. It is. <laughs> we just like sit and talk. I have and a pattern of tangential conversations <laughs> with my close friends. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So we were talking about um, um, basically the kind of therapy that you that you yes. Get. So the, and so that is one of the forms of therapy. Um, it's called prolonged exposure, um, and I will sometimes utilize that with my PTSD patients. Another one which is actually utilizing the exact same thing, though, is called cognitive processing therapy, again used for PTSD patients. But it's the same thing. And I think that that's the underlying cause. Or even if, like, I were treating a a patient with 
obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. the underlying principle is we are approaching things instead of avoiding things. Hmm. Yeah. And there's a huge part of all of those treatments is we must approach. We must face the things that we do not want to face. The first the first sort of response in something that's fearful for a lot of people is just to freeze and not do anything. Mm-hmm. So where how do you get how do you get people to the point where they can face the thing that they don't want to face? Well, I mean, you don't get them exactly. to do it. I was say, <laughs> You're like, that's not my job. I'm not getting anyone to do anything. Yeah. I mean, my role really in doing it as a therapist is both to A, provide them the foundation and mm-hmm. kind of the understanding of, you know, what that's going to look like, as well as provide the safe relational space for that to happen in. Totally. But ultimately, it becomes a choice for them. Yeah. How bad do they really want it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, sometimes like what I'll do is really just highlight how, like, how has life changed since this mm-hmm. thing happened to you? And then we kind of look at those ways and then it's like, okay, do you want life to be like that forever? Mm-hmm. And that's a question that I don't ask lightly. It's like, no, like that's really a valid question. Like, is it worth it to you knowing that going through this exposure, going through this reclaiming is not going to be a cakewalk? Right. Is it worth it to you to actually go through the emotional pain that will come up when you do it? Hmm. But then also knowing that on the other side, oh yeah, there's going to be so much freedom, so much, so freedom. much, um, so much empowerment too. Like yeah, to be able to face the thing that you feel is completely untouchable and completely scary. Mm-hmm. It's so empowering to actually do that. Yes. And to be able to ride out that feeling and then come out the other side like oh. That wasn't maybe as bad as I thought, or mm-hmm. it was just as bad as I thought, and yet I survived, and I, mm. I'm fine. I'm intact still. Yeah. It's so empowering when patients finally do it. But the difference is that you got to fully do it. And so even thinking about your reclaiming, if you had just, you know, gone to Perkins, sat there, and kind of white-knuckled your way through yeah. your pancakes – that would have not done anything for you. Right. Yeah. So the research shows that we need to be, you know, both fully kind of present in the activity yeah. of approach in that we are allowing all of the memories, all of the feelings to, to come up and then to actually stay in that situation until our distress goes down by half. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. So in exposure therapy, typically what you will do is that you want to understand how distressing each activity is for each person. So this is kind of a simple, a simplified um, description. But say that a person's, you know, anxiety of going in an elevator per se was like a 100 or like a 90 on a 100 point scale. So, so very, like very really, distressing. Really distressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that was kind of something that you were working up to, you wouldn't start out at a 90 because that's kind of setting a person up for failure. And so you'd want to start out with activities that kind of work your way up towards that. Okay. But once they get up to the elevator activity or something else, they want to stay in that situation until their distress has gone down by half. So if they were at a 90, you want to wait until their distress goes down to a 45, which for some people might mean staying there for a couple hours. Like in an elevator. In an elevator, riding it up and down and up and down. That is terrifying. But but 
you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And wow. what you'll see that happens is that the anxiety spikes. It typically mm-hmm. spikes up to that, you know, 90 or, or potentially higher. But as you stay in this situation longer, it goes down and down and down and down. Mm. Because you're basically, you're sitting there and you're like, this isn't as bad as I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be. All of those thoughts, yeah. all those ideas about what about what was going to happen are right. running through a person's mind. And as they write it out longer and longer, it's like the brain is finally catching up. And it's like, oh, wait, this isn't actually happening. Yeah. So while the body might be freaking out or a panic attack might happen, if the person just continues to sit there and be like, no, I am not leaving. I am waiting this out until this goes down. Man, that's that's terrifying. It's hardcore. Yeah. That's why we don't start people out at like a 90 on the distress scale. Right. We're going to start them out at like a 30. So what would what would that look like? Like, let's say let's use the example again of the elevator. So somebody's somebody is afraid of going on an elevator. Mm-hmm. Where, where would you where would you encourage them to start before they go on the I elevator? I mean, for every person, it's going to be different. So we would sit together and you know, make a huge long list of all these different activities that are related to that and mm-hmm. then rate how, how distressing they are. Okay. So for one person, their first step might just be sitting and thinking about an elevator. <laughs> so we might yeah. do that during session. And so, okay. we, so we sit there, we might pull up a picture on my computer of, of an elevator and just look at it and talk about it. And we're going to stay doing that, focused on it, not not distracting, hmm. not white knuckling it, until the until the distress goes down. Right. It's almost like just really diving into that. You're going to for the it. fear, to the anxiety of that place mm-hmm. or that thing, mm-hmm. and not avoiding it not at avoiding all. It. Yeah. And then the next step up could be in therapy. We might be sitting there together, imagining going in an elevator. Hmm. And then eventually they get to the point where they do that on their own. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. That's like yeah. that's like intense stuff. So this is why is why people don't want to do it, right? Because yeah. it's the opposite of what you want to do. It's like, oh, like I come I come to therapy and I have this fear and I want you and I want you to take away my fear versus make me approach my fear and do it again and again and right. again and again. Right. Well and that I mean that's the, the, the point of fear or I mean even when you're like in pain, I mean I I'll, I can talk about my divorce. I was I was so often wanting to make the pain stop that's Mm -hmm. I mean when you're in pain you want it to stop you want to like that's why people medicate and they so so the hurt stops um but what reclaiming is and this kind of exposure therapy it sounds like is you're you're putting yourself in a painful situation actively so that eventually Mm -hmm. the pain of that place will stop It really has that long-term view of like, I know where this is going to get me and I'm willing to kind of go through the pain to get there. Right. It's hardcore therapy. Yeah. Can you give maybe like an example of, um, or maybe, I mean, as, as, um, I don't know, specific as you can be about Mm -hmm. maybe some of the cases that you, that you face in your, um, with your patients? Um, I can't give specific ones, but I'll make one up that's Mm -hmm. maybe similar to cases or to the types of cases I see, as far as just like the what this looks like therapeutically. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I mean, generally, especially with you know work with PTSD in the veteran population, um, especially with sexual trauma, it's a lot of you know if I were to to use this therapy, it'd be you know a lot of approach activities to work towards say the goal, like say that the feared thing for a person was um, going on a date. 
So say that maybe they had been guilty of that one too. (laughs) (laughs) So say that maybe like their very top fear was dating and they, and they had this goal of, I really want to be married and Mm -hmm. I want to have a family, but you know, I was raped, you know, 10 years back in the military. And so like, for me, like that is just like the biggest fear. And so like, this is keeping me from reaching my larger goal. So if that was a larger goal, we would kind of put that there and then we and then we would progressively work towards that together. Hmm. So like something that maybe would end up on the person's list of things to do would be, um, I don't know, like going and like signing up for a dating website. Mm hmm. And yeah, just, even and, just downloading and it. just like downloading <laughs> it or like creating their profile and not and not making it live right um another thing could be even like looking back that's at, actually that's actually something that my therapist told me to do there we go because I had a panic attack <laughs> or it wasn't quite a panic attack it was almost a panic attack thinking about that mm-hmm. and so then I actively put myself in that position to yeah. actually just download it just do which it was like ah. it's kind of those small small yeah. baby steps and it's so like the next thing could maybe be you know, even like simulating a date like with a good friend. Oh, yeah. And doing it at a safe mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Or going on a date and having it be planned by you and not planned by the person mm. that you're going with. Having it be at maybe a restaurant or a, or a coffee yeah. shop. And so like all these different ways of breaking things down like really specifically. Well, I just love that because it's like, I mean, something something like rape, I'm um, – I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be raped. I don't know what it's like to have the PTSD of that. But it's a very, like something like that must be incredibly, um, just like feeling you. You must feel so powerless in that. Mm-hmm. But these steps are things that help a person <laughs> feel empowered to yeah. um, to take control over the thing that is actually causing them more, like more fear and more, um, yeah, mm-hmm. more anxiety around the thing that has made them feel powerless. And that's the thing about all of the things that we avoid is that we typically have the feeling of anxiety and our response to that is to control things. Hmm. And so that's typically why we start avoiding. It's like, okay, Hmm. if I'm afraid of this thing, I can just avoid it and then I can control the situation by not doing it and then I'm going to be fine. However, as we avoid things, those things actually have control on us. Right, totally. So really doing exposure therapy or this process of reclaiming is taking control back. Right. It's like I'm not going to let X, Y, and Z, this feeling, this fear, this yeah. place have control on me in the same way it, it has in years past. Right, and because you could, I could totally, dis- I could totally say, well, I'm never going to go back to Perkins again. I don't want to go back to Perkins mm-hmm. again. So I have control over that, that I don't want to go back there and have those pancakes. But... But actually, it is, like you said, it's that's letting that thing and the fear of that place, the fear um, and, and the anxiety of that take control over my choices. Mm-hmm. So and really, it comes down to the somewhat irrelevant or irreverent rather question of who's calling the shots here. Yeah. Is it your fear or is it you? Or is it what happened to me? Yeah. What is controlling you? Right. Who's calling the shots right now? That's huge. And it's so empowering to like mm-hmm. to say, actually, I'm going to call the shots over the thing that's happened to me and over the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's been so my heart in in wanting to encourage people to reclaim. And I don't have the science behind it to re- like or, you know, I don't have the Ph.D. behind my name to say that this is what I'm doing. But like but it's worked for me and it's been so empowering. And now I don't drive around the Twin Cities 
and um and just think of all the places and 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 things that that hold memories with my ex-husband but I see these places and things and even listening to the radio I'm remembering all the times that I actually stepped into that pain and stepped into the fear to um to say that this thing does not control my life and -hmm. it doesn't dictate my decisions and and even where I go Mm -hmm. because there was this moment where I was like man I am getting like I'm getting bombarded with all these memories of my ex-husband before I started reclaiming. I'm getting bombarded by all these things and like I got to move because because I and you you are still trying to get me to move to I, to I also remember the day that you're like, "Oh, I think I need to move." And part of me was like, "Yes, come and live by me." Yeah. <laughs> Selfishly. Right, but I don't I mean, if I would have done that out of fear, yeah. I would have let I would have let my experience dictate and control what I chose to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, a move would be my decision, but I'm not dictated by what has happened to me. Exactly. You know, as we're talking, I do feel like it is good to note that avoidance because of fear that's unwarranted is different than avoidance because of fear that is warranted. What I mean right. by that is yeah. like you going to Perkins, like you're not going to die likely if you go to Perkins right it might feel like you're gonna die the emotions might feel just as intense that first time but the reality of that is that you are not actually in danger right versus say a person who has a really abusive you know partner spouse and they are avoiding that person because they are toxic and because they are going to harm them that is different absolutely so I think fear is like fear is is a it's an important internal reaction fear is adaptive yeah like fear is good because it makes us you know run or it makes us fight well there's people that like don't have the ability to have fear right um isn't that like a thing not it's typically not that cut and dry i mean they have like a decreased amount of fear okay and then they just get hurt a lot more, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm going to start jumping off, you know, right. bridges. Clearly, yeah. you're probably going to be hurt more than the person who has some fear of jumping off 200 bridges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. So there is a difference between, and, you know, this is something that if I'm doing this type of therapy with my patients, there's nothing on that list that is likely going to cause them harm. Hmm. So, like real, legit yeah. harm. So if their fear is, you know, spiders, and for some reason that's keeping them from their goal of, I don't know, like something else. <laughs> I'm, I mean, like part of the exposure is not going to be go and pet some super poisonous spider. Right. Like the goal is not to put someone in danger. Right. But it's to face their fears to a degree that it's actually going to be experienced in their everyday life mm-hmm. and is inhibiting them towards their goals. Yeah. And by doing that incre- incrementally, that you're – it, it that's helping that person feel empowered to say I can face this thing that is really scary yeah. like actually going on a date mm-hmm. yeah yeah or going to Perkins or going in an elevator yeah whatever the thing is wow that's that is so cool so one thing that I really wanted to be sure to do in reclaiming was always do it with people because a it was more fun <laughs> um, to like to include people in it to help create a new memory with that place and thing. Um, and but then also to be able to process and talk about the memories that I have to actually like dive into that thing um, is um, is your therapy done relationally? I mean, it's done with you like you help to lead it. But how do you how do you go about that with your patients? 
So this is where it's going to really deviate from kind of a more strict behavior standpoint. And this is what I and this is what I was hinting at before is that really strict behaviorism is doesn't really acknowledge as much the power of the relationship, um, which is interesting. And I think that a lot of behaviors are, are kind of starting to move towards the, the middle because a lot of studies and kind of when they do uh, meta analyses is that they show that the common denominator for all therapies is the therapeutic relationship. Hmm. So time and time again, if you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy or if you're doing psychodynamic or whatever else, hmm. what time and time again approves to be powerful is the therapeutic relationship that the patient has with their therapist. Okay. So there's that. And then for me, being trained as a very relational psychologist, um, the way that I do behaviorism, so things like exposure therapy, is going to have a very relational bent to it. Hmm. So for me, I know that it's going to be really hard to even keep my patients in therapy, especially a therapy like exposure therapy. That's very it's hard. It's hard. I mean, yeah. it's doing the opposite of what you want to do. That a big part of what's going to keep them there is the relationship they have with me. Yeah. So that's a piece of the relationality is that before I start this, I'm going to have a good relational foundation with them. Yeah. I want them to feel as safe as they possibly can with me. I want them to feel like I am on their side and like I'm rooting for them. Yep. And like I'm not, you know, judging them or pushing them towards something. So I'm, I've never you know, like manhandled a person into doing exposure therapy because yeah. guess like, what? It wouldn't work. You have to do this. <laughs> if you want to be well, like you have yeah. to do it. <laughs> it just does not work or yeah. people just drop out. So there's that as well as just because just because of kind of how I see people and see how people change is that kind of like how, you know, trauma, be it big trauma or, you know, small T trauma, it changes the way that we relate with others and kind of the internal working models or like hmm. the structures that we have kind of in ourselves for how we categorize people and categorize relationships. Hmm. So the internal working models are, are kind of like the unspoken and typically rules that we have that we're not even aware of that we have for how relationships work. Wow. Yeah. So when, you know, traumatic things happen, when relationships are torn apart, when divorces happen, um, when abuse happens, it just takes those rules and kind of shakes them up. Totally. It makes them really confusing. So with that, I think that when we do things like exposure therapy or reclaiming in the context of relationships, it makes them that much more powerful. Hmm. Because yeah. then it's not only, you know, teaching yourself and re and relearning like I can experience this feeling of fear or this feeling of sadness and I can survive it and I can have these thoughts and memories and, yeah. I, and, and I can survive it and actually have power over it. But also learning, like, I'm doing it with these people who are actually really safe to me. Yeah. And they are, you know, maybe doing the opposite of what I thought might happen here. Totally. Or they're providing, you know, this safety for me that then makes the feeling of sadness not nearly as as overwhelming. Or they're actually supporting me in it when mm -hmm. I thought that they wouldn't or I thought that I would Bingo. have no, um, no support in it. And like yes. a big, I mean, a big thing for me was fighting the shame of just the word mm -hmm. divorce and inviting people into the healing from my divorce was actively saying, was actively fighting that shame. Exactly. And, um, and there's probably a lot of shame that happens around healing from, you know, any, any sort of trauma like mm -hmm. that. Um, the big T trauma too. Like, yeah. Yeah. And bottom line is that when we experience emotions in the context of relationships, it is just processed in our mind and in our body in a different way. Absolutely. And when you articulate them too, uh -huh. then it's like 
people are able to echo back to you. Yeah. This is actually what I'm hearing. And that's what's, that's, what's so important about, um, about therapy. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're talking about these things, your therapist echoes them back to you, but doing them in, in just regular relationships, um, people that, that aren't impartial even like they're mm-hmm. here for you through the thick and through the thin, um, to be able to stand with you in your healing. Like that's, that's awesome. And I think that that's the part of it that's hard to maybe see or even to talk about as clearly because, again, it's these unspoken rules that most of us don't even know that we have about other people and that we believe about other people. But that work is being done as we're allowing ourselves to experience these emotions in the context of relationships. Hmm. And then the rules that maybe were distorted during the difficult time or, frankly, were distorted from even beforehand can then begin to be rectified. Yeah. I'm I'm so grateful for what you do and like and the the perspective that you have with it. So thank you. Is there um, I mean, is there anything that you would like? I mean, you're not you're not anyone's therapist. Not anyone's therapist. I'm not providing advice. I'm not telling you what to do. Okay. <laughs> but what was I, the question? But <laughs> so maybe I will give advice. No. <laughs> um, go to therapy. <laughs> that there's a piece of good advice. Um, I guess the one thing that does come to mind as I'm thinking about this is. Just kind of, you know, some perspective is not just for people who have been through trauma or even just drama, um, but just kind of every person is that everybody avoids something, Hmm. Um, whether it be an emotion or a person or an experience, something else. And I think it's always good to be checking in um, with oneself and just kind of seeing like, am I doing this because it's actually keeping me safe or am I doing this because I'm just fearful? Hmm. And I think that that's a good check and then something that a person can, can be working towards is like, do I really want to let fear hmm. kind of rain the day and call my shots? And so whether it be like, I mean, even something small, like I like if a, if a person intentionally shows up late to things yeah, because they are avoiding making small talk, like yeah. that's just a fear of social, of social situations Hmm. that might be a big enough goal to actually work towards I mean it's at least worth being curious about yeah Um, that's something that I think the everyday person can kind of take these principles and then put them in into practice right right and there's a level of self-awareness that needs to come with that Mm -hmm. but then but then really getting in touch with what are my actions saying about actually what's going on in my emotions and in my heart we we as people we're not um we're not powerless in the situation we're not powerless no. even to our own um to our own emotions no yeah that's so cool that was awesome I so appreciate this thank you Kristen yeah, it was good to be here yeah yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode of the reclaimed podcast please subscribe on iTunes um rate it if you can because that really helps me um, it helps people find my podcast and um, that'd be really super helpful. You can also um, like it on Facebook, like it on Instagram, that kind of thing. But you can find all the details about reclaiming um, and my website uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Reclaimed podcast. For more information about reclaiming, visit reclaimed.com. That's R-C-L-A-I-M-E-D.com.